0: of the book again another example it's like it's so practical why is he dealing with this such complicated issue it's much more likely that all he's saying is god wants you to add works to your faith he wants you to not just say it's really rough that you lost your job during this COVID thing i hope god takes care of you that's not doesn't help anybody i mean do something and actually help them and then uh So, a good example of this, which we'll get to as we look through Romans, how does this flow of thought fit within the context of the book? If you look at Romans chapter 8, verses 37 and 39, Romans Romans 8 ends with this pretty incredible promise of God. And all these things we've, we have complete victory through him who loved us i am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor heavenly rulers nor things that are present nor things to come nor powers nor height depth nor any el- anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord so he's built this whole doctrine of our salvation and says nothing can take that away from us we are completely secure we can't be separated you go to romans chapter 12 and he says therefore i exert you brothers and sisters by the mercies of god to present your bodies to god it flows right seamlessly together if you were to just bump out chapters 9 through 11. but if you put 9 through 11 in there this is why some people call it a parenthetical section it's just the section that no oh, you could just bump it out of there It doesn't, it's not important well it is important why, why did paul include this why didn't paul just go straight from there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God, nothing in creation. We're totally secure. Therefore, present yourself to God as, you know, whatever. But then he goes into this whole, I have this grief in my heart for, the, for my people, the Israelites. I, I wish they would be saved. And he goes into this whole thing and spends three chapters talking about it. Well, if you understand the flow of thought, which we've kind of tried to stress that Paul anticipates in, in the book of Romans how people are thinking as he's writing, and I'm going to anticipate how they're thinking. I'm going to answer a question that they have. We don't necessarily think about, well, what about the Jewish people? But Jews would have thought that in the first century. If the Jewish people have 1,500 years of God's promises to them, you will always be my people. I will always be your God. You are the apple of my eye. I'll t- you know, all this kind of stuff. And now it appears God has forsaken Israel and gone to the Gentiles, they would probably be saying, it's nice, Paul, that God keeps his promises and he never forsakes us, nothing can separate us, all that kind of stuff, but it kind of seems like that's what he's done to us. How can we trust what you're saying about God here when it seems as if he's abandoned his promises to the nation of Israel? So then when you put that within the context of the flow of what Paul's thinking, it makes perfect sense. This is kind of like a, the section is almost like a defense of God. God is free to do what he wants, how he wants. And that's kind of what these chapters do, and that's what uh, the point of them existing is. So it's how does it fall within the flow of the book, and then how does this fit within the context of the entire Bible. So we talked about already, your interpretations, it's got to make sense. Now, God's not a god of confusion. Uh, this is not the same as saying that God can't say or do things that are confusing. I.e., the Book of Revelation, <laughs> which we're reading or right not. It's like you read this and you say, "Well, wait a second. If it's got it to make sense and God's not a god of confusion, explain this." Because I'm very confused. It's not the same as God saying not saying things that are confusing. But once you understand the interpretation of it, then it's like, oh, okay. That at least makes a little bit more sense. Um, So hopefully, as we look at Revelation, we'll see that. But um, again, we talked about Philippians. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. If I interpret that to mean, well, you know what? I'm going to climb up on top of this building. I'm just going to jump off because I can do all things through Christ. It's like, well, wait a second. Hold on. That doesn't make sense. That's... That's illogical. Well, yeah, because you've got the wrong interpretation of what that passage means, what that verse means. But when you understand it perfectly clear, like, it seems very clear, and then once you understand it correctly, it it is clear, you compare that with Revelation 13, a dragon stood on the shore the shore of the sea, it's like a tongue twister, stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea, it had ten horns and seven heads. With ten crowns on its horns and on each head had a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard but had feet like those of a bear and mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast to his power and his throne and great authority. It's like, well, wait a second. (laughs) What the heck is being talked about? We've we've left the Bible. We've gone to Lord of the Rings type stuff. There's dragons and there's beasts and there's horns and all these different... And we just think this is too confusing. But... Just like understanding the genre, it's, a, it's prophetic, it's apocalyptic, it's full of symbolic language. And once you understand the key to unlocking the secret, it kind of starts to make a little bit more sense. And maybe we'll talk about this in the next hour, but when you read like Daniel, Daniel talks about visions of, I saw a beast that had multiple heads. And here's the interpretation. The beast is a king in his kingdom. Here's what the heads represent. Here's what the, what you know, and he kind of interprets it for you right there. Well, Revelation doesn't do that, but it assumes that you as the reader have that key to understand. Okay, I understand that a beast is a king in his kingdom. His heads are different kings within that kingdom. Crowns, got rulings, got blasphemous names. Resembled a leopard, a bear, a lion. Oh yeah, and Daniel, it talked about different beasts. The Babylonian Empire was a lion. The Medo-Persian Empire was the bear. The Greek Empire was the leopard. And it, and it tells you in that book, it gives you that interpretation. So we're not just guessing. So then when you read this, oh wow, it's a beast. With all of these different kings that are a part of it that kind of looks like a lion. But it kind of looks like a bear and it kind of looks like a leopard. Well, what that seems like to me is it, it, it has the appearance and in the, in the collective appearance and whatever of all of these kingdoms that have existed. The UN. Throughout human, yeah, so I mean, that's why a lot of people think the UN. It's like all these different nations from all over the place pooled together, and then it tells us the dragon is the serpent of old Satan, so Satan gives his power to this beast. I mean, so once you have that key to unlock, it's like, oh, that's not all that confusing. It's still a confusing way to say it, but once you have that interpretation, it helps to make sense of it. So if something is confusing, asking God, what am I missing? Like, Help me to understand what it is that I'm, because this isn't making sense. And even the conclusion that I'm drawing from it doesn't seem to make sense. Now, it again, it may just be our understanding of it is wrong, or it could be we understand it perfectly clear, we understand the application perfectly clear, but... I just don't want what this says to be true, so I'm gonna to try to find a different answer. Uh that happens a lot of the times in scripture. But here's, you know, where you can bring your questions to the group or someone discipling you, a mentor. You know, we're reading, it's just like this does not make sense. Does anybody have some insight here? Like, you know, we can kind of pool our hopefully wisdom together and, and work through an issue. Um <clears throat> this is also where you hit the commentaries or biblical teachings um the commentaries are not necessarily engaging reading sometimes you'll get some that are more practical and they're kind of more like a pastor uh warren weirsby's that way uh, and phil and i are kind of on the same page because we're much more like i just want verse one says this it means this give me the data give me the facts and warren Wearsby's is much more like a pastor so he's like preaching you a sermon and giving you illustrations to explain things so but different commentaries they're not necessarily always readable but they are helpful you pull them up and, and take a look at them. So, some things worth thinking about <clears throat> when it comes to commentaries and Bible teaching. They're tremendous help when you're stuck on something. Um, this is a John MacArthur commentaries, which you know we'll talk about. Um, something to consider with commentaries, that's why I put them in there. But I think there's a danger in relying on commentaries and Bible teachings right away and i hesitate to say this and hopefully you understand what i mean don't don't turn to a commentary right away or a bible teaching necessarily right away you got to think of it like and maybe this illustration will fly over some people's heads you're not, you know lift weights but like think of having a spotter when you're bench pressing you know you want that spotter to help you lift it when you i just can't get this last rep back up on the bar okay help me out but you want to push yourself if if when you go to bench press and you you're like okay this is tough and they just all right and they lift it up and it's like well you're never going to learn or get stronger that way so if we constantly just open the bible okay what does this say what you're doing is you're just getting somebody else's opinion which might be right but it might be wrong as well that's why i say like john MacArthur great man of God, been preaching for 50 years. He's probably right on a lot of stuff, but you know, just like we've talked about um, when we talk about scriptures, someone else's opinion, John MacArthur has his biases and his presuppositions and his worldview as well. And if you just turn to what John MacArthur thinks about it, well, guess what? You're going to come away with something that probably makes some sense because John MacArthur's not a dummy. He's He's not going to believe something that doesn't make sense, likely. So you're just going to say, oh, that makes sense. That's a good enough answer for me. And you're going to just believe that's why Mark Twain said that nearly all the knowledge that we have as people has gotten at second hand. You know, rarely, if ever, do we go and study something out for ourselves and come to a logical conclusion based on what we see. It's always, well, I turn on the news and this is what they told me. I saw this on the internet. and this, I It's like, if we're students of the scripture, we're not students of John MacArthur's commentary or John Piper. You know, it's like, they're great men of God, but it's no different than if, if I was to show up here and say, man, I don't have a question, and Don gives me his opinion. Now, maybe MacArthur's a little bit more informed than any of us, but he's still just a dude, and you're just going to get his opinion. So <laughs> if you hit him too quickly, um, uh, you're going to... You're going to just probably come away with what, what their interpretation is. Um, and so you've got to be cautious in who you read and who you listen to. Um, just because someone wrote a book or speaks into a microphone doesn't mean that they're right. <laughs> um, so, you know, you pick up a, a commentary or just go on and say, oh, yeah, the, the Watchtower Society, I wonder what they have to say about this. And you <laughs> listen to it, it's like, well, you're probably going to come away with a Jehovah's Witness. Version, Because that's what you're listening to. So you need to have discernment. Again, um, remember that they all have biases, preconceptions, and all that kind of stuff. And you ask other trusted people what their opinions are on a resource. You know, you just say, hey, you know, I've been reading this guy. What do you think? And that's kind of that way of all of us having the collective knowledge of God's word and relying on that. So it's harder for the enemy to deceive. If we all know, like, well, hey, what do you think about this guy? Well, you know, John MacArthur's pretty good on a lot of stuff, but, you know, here's something you might want to be aware of. Here's his preconception about something. Here's what he believes. So when you read this, understand he's coming from that perspective. Oh, well, what do you think about this person? Oh, they're way off. Like, you don't want to be reading that guy. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, One thing that John MacArthur did say in one of his seminars I was listening to, as we you know we're, we're really big on our culture now of unity. Oh, we just we need to have unity. We need to be united and work together. And he's like, we're not called to be united with falsehood. That's, we're, that's not being united. That's, we're united in truth. So if there's somebody who's just way out in left field and it's like a false teacher, we just tell people, just stay away from that person. That's okay to do. Unless, of course, you're wanting to understand what you know that false teaching is but you ask questions of it just like you would the Bible remember you read these books you read the Bible just like you would any other book you you read a commentary by someone you think why did they come to that conclusion how does that fit in with what was just said earlier in the Bible this this interpretation doesn't make any sense so when you can think critically and and try to understand and just don't take oh eeny meeny miny mo this commentary I'll pull it off that's what he says okay that sounds good enough and kind of cross-check with other commentaries. Well, why does this say this, and that say this, and, and this one guy's all by himself in a certain belief? <clears throat> you can kind of investigate that way. So, um, Blue Letter Bible, again, it's a really good tool. Um, if you look, I'll bring it up really quick. Hopefully it links me to it. <clears throat> if You go to John 14. Remember how we said you pull up your tools, and you bring up the tools where it has all the different greek words and all that kind of stuff on part of it it will say commentaries and you click on it on the verse that you're looking at and it will bring up and they have you know a a database of commentaries that they have access to some of the older ones you know like matthew henry and stuff that's you know like old 1800s doesn't mean it's wrong but um certain things again trying to understand the context in which things have been written If you're reading a a Christian author who was written before 1947, and why that date, what happened on that date, you may have somebody who's a little off in some of their beliefs about prophecy because in 1947, what happened? The nation of Israel became a nation again. Before that, they'd been extinct for 2,000 years. So a lot of (coughs) Christian writers before Israel just popped back into existence thought they ain't coming back all these prophecies about israel being a nation so that's that ain't happening so they'll interpret things differently so so matthew henry's kind of old school but they'll have other stuff on there chuck smith you can listen to his audio teachings his bible teachings he's really good he was the founding pastor of calvary chapel big huge denominational movement more on the west coast um so he's pretty good chuck missler's on there he's he's pretty good on stuff Um, So you check them out. They may be good. They may not be. And then lastly, um, don't lose sight of the goal. And this is something that I, hopefully we can keep stressing as we work through this um, stuff on how to interpret the Bible and know the Bible better and and understand scripture better. Um, One of the biggest downfalls of Bible college is you come out of it thinking I know everything. And it's like um, it, it, you, you kind of develop an arrogancy. Um, think, think of the Bible as a treasure map. So we're studying how to understand and interpret the Bible correctly. The Bible is just a treasure map leading us to The X marks the spot. So, <clears throat> you study the map, for sure, we don't say, I don't care about that map, I just want the gold. Just, and you throw the map into a corner, it's like, well, no. Hold on, like, we want to study it. We definitely want to value it. Don't burn it. Don't leave it down where the dog can chew it up. Because we need that map. Make sure you've done everything possible to follow the map, literally. If it says take 10 paces that direction towards the big tree, don't say, well, ten, you know, it's just kind of a round number. It probably just means, you know, kind of walk that direction a little bit. No. And follow it literally. Makes sense. But understand that the treasure is Jesus Christ. That's, that's what, we, what we want to know more than anything. <clears throat> Jesus' rebuke to the Pharisees is, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. <coughs> and it's they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So these scribes, these Pharisees, they knew the word. They could interpret it. Oh, they had all the answers. Everyone came to them. And they loved being called teacher and, and rabbi because, oh, I just need to know. I need to know the word of God. And this person knows it. And, oh, and, but it's like, but you don't have eternal life. You're not, you haven't found the, it's like they, they became obsessed with the treasure map. And they forgot that there's a treasure that it's supposed to lead you to. You know, you just think of how foolish that would be to be like, Oh, you know, this treasure map from sixteen hundreds directs you right to where this pirate ship that robbed the, you know, Queen of England or whatever and had all this gold and robbed the entire storehouse of the Kingdom of England, and they sank right here off the coast coast of such and such a place. And but man, this map is forty years old, it's worth so much money. Oh, I just want to treasure it. and the museum offers you ten million dollars for it. It's like all right, you know, he's and it's like The map's not the important part of that equation. It's the treasure at the end of it that you (laughs) want to come to. So we never want to get hung up on um, that stuff. So even in having good hermeneutics and and learning how to interpret the Bible, just because you say, okay, here's what I think this means. I've looked at the context. I've done word studies. I've looked at commentaries. I've I've asked all the right questions. And here's the answer that I think it means, and this is my interpretation of it. Understand that you're still a human. That interpretation could be wrong. It, it really bothers me. I kind of thought about this a couple of years ago. Um, and it kind of came on the heels of someone was criticizing me because I changed my opinion on something. It was kind of important. But they're like, oh, you used to believe this. And... You don't believe that anymore, you're teaching this before, and it's like, yeah, I changed my opinion. (laughs) Like, when I teach, you know, the Bible, and this is maybe a good thing for you guys to understand, I'm not necessarily telling you this is what it means. I'm telling you this is what I think it means right now based on all the evidence that I have. And just like on the contract, it's got a little asterisk that says this interpretation is subject to change at any time, you know? (laughs) So, um, you got to hold them loosely. Again, some things, they're not really up for debate. Jesus said he's coming back. He's coming back. That's not up for debate. Um, But some things about what does Paul mean when he says, I can harden whom I harden and I whatever, all that kind of stuff in Romans 9. It's like, here's what I believe, but I could be wrong. And when I get to heaven, we'll find out. The problem is, you think that you have... um, the correct answer. And like I said, it bothers me that there are some pastors and Bible teachers and authors and stuff that haven't changed their opinion about anything in like 40 years. And I just think you you knew everything 40 years ago? You haven't grown in your knowledge at all? That just seems bizarre to me. But be (coughs) humble. Um, Having good hermeneutics and the stuff that we're We're talking about during this time. It's going to put you ahead of many Christians, unfortunately, in the church. Um, The fact is, what we're doing right now does not happen in a lot of churches. So just the knowledge that you gain from studying and learning how to be a student of of the scripture is going to put you ahead of a lot of other Christians. But the reality is... 1 Corinthians, Paul says, with regards to the food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So in that passage, Paul's talking about, listen, this food sacrifice to the idols, it's kind of a dumb thing. There, there are no such thing as idols. There's no other gods. They're all folks, but, you know, you've got people out here that believe that these idols are really gods, and they're living their life like there's these <coughs> other gods, and Zeus and Jupiter and Aphrodite and all the Diana, all these different gods, and they're afraid that these gods. And you're just thinking, like, you know, these gods don't exist. Why are you so bent out of shape about this? You know, I've been to Bible school. I know that there's no, there's, there's only one God. And so we have to be humble, though, because not everybody has that knowledge. Not everybody. So um, just understand that as we learn more, to keep love as their centerpiece in all of this. Um, Be willing and unafraid to change. Um, If you change your opinion on what something means in the Bible, it doesn't mean you're an idiot. Like, maybe it means you were an idiot before. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, it's just, hey, I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm trying to understand this more. If you think, I've studied the Bible and I read it through once, I know everything about it, it's like, that's a really low view of God. I mean, he communicated his word to us and it's just like, we think that we know everything about it (coughs) at first glance. No, certainly not. People have been discussing and arguing what the Bible means for thousands of years. It's, till we die and get to heaven, we're not going to know what everything means. And I don't even think when we get to heaven, we're going to know some of the interpretations. I jokingly say, I think God's not. He's in heaven. God's going to be like, I'm not going to tell you who was right and who was wrong on that issue. Why? I just so you can brag that you were right and the other guy was wrong. Right. God's like, I'm not going to do that. That's what I think heaven's going to be like. Um, and then with classic quote from Aquinas: "In essentials, unity; in non-essentials, liberty; and in all things, charity." So, when it comes to biblical interpretation. And this is, is hard. It does take wisdom to know, well, is this really something that's essential, not essential? Like John MacArthur said, we don't, we're do not we not united with falsehood. We don't unite with the Jehovah's Witness because they don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. <clears throat> um, but in the essentials, unity. We've got an, a denomination of people who think that, you know, uh, infant baptism by dropping water on their head is acceptable and you got some denominations that think I don't understand the reason for that. Well, I mean, did the baby go to hell because you put water on its head? It's like ultimately it probably doesn't really matter. Um, Phil and I were laughing just last night. I won't mention it, but just this thing, you know, this way of praying that person was engaged in. We're just like, I don't really see the point in that, but <laughs> Whatever, it's not really essential. So, having that wisdom and the humility to know, you know what, this is what I think about the Bible, but are people really going to hell over this? Something that was really important to me was in Philippians when Paul says, listen, there's people who are preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition. They're greedy, they want the glory for themselves, and they're tearing me down and criticizing me. And it's like, if anything, you could say, listen, that's unacceptable. You can't be that. And he's like, but... Hey, they're just preaching the gospel. I guess I'll rejoice in that. I'll get I'll get beat up and criticized and taken advantage of if they're preaching the gospel. So, but if someone believes in some fine point of theology different than we do, so we have liberty to disagree, but we always show love. So, while well, Faith and Focus is a ministry of In Faith, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast don't necessarily reflect the views and opinions of In Faith as a mission. If you like what you heard on this episode, why don't you become a monthly supporter of the ministry? It really helps me out $10 a month or whatever the Lord lays on your heart. So if you're interested in becoming a partner, uh, you can text the word DISCIPLESHIP to 41444 or head over to infaith.org backslash Dennis-Sotherby. And if you have any questions or topics that you would like me to address on a future episode of Faith and Focus, why don't you shoot me an email? You can email me at DennisSotherby at InFaith.org. Just put in the subject line, question for Faith and Focus, or something like that, uh, so I can see it, know that it's from you, and know that it's an issue that you'd like me to address.